Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. All right. How's everybody doing? Super excited to be here with you guys today. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Moses Camacho. Uh, I'm the senior pastor of South Hills Church, and uh, this is one of many of our locations. So if this is your first time, you've walked into the original founding location of South Hills. This is where it all started, where it all began. This is where uh, God ultimately... uh, spoke into the hearts of our founding pastor, Chris and Laura Songson, to create a church that was going to speak to people's hearts and people's, and people's lives, no matter where they were on their journey in life, whether they have never been to church before or whether they were been going to church their entire lives. This was always created to be a place where anybody can walk the doors and God can speak to their hearts and ultimately change their lives. And that's what it's been for over 25 years. Can we give God a huge round of applause for that? And can we just one more time uh, just put our hands together for that story with Mark, Mike and Carmen who ultimately uh, shared their hearts with all of our campuses today. So that video, that video and that story uh, went to all of our campuses today. And I mean, those are the things that really grab a hold of my heart. Um, that's hearing how God has been prepping people for an opportunity whenever a South Hills campus pops up. Um, most people don't know where the next location is. And to be honest with you, sometimes I don't even know where the next location is. And, uh, you know, I'll get some phone call or I'll get some connection. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm in a conversation and we're starting a campus in South Hills, Idaho. And then a couple few weeks ago, as if you were here, you heard that we launched a campus in South Hills, Virginia. It was our first uh, East Coast campus. And uh, we knew going into that one, that it wasn't going to be our our last East Coast campus. And so we are currently sitting at 11 campuses. Um, Ten of them are here in the U.S. One of them is a global campus in Africa. And so we have eight of them in Southern California. We have one in Idaho. We have one in Virginia that we launched early September. Uh, We have one in Kenya that we started a few years ago as well as our global campus. Um, And we're getting ready to launch campus number 12. And that's happening next week. Yes, absolutely. That's happening next week. So uh, come back next week and we'll tell you where it's at. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll let you know. It's our next East Coast campus. Campus number 12 um, is going to be in the state of Ohio. So as of next Sunday, we are launching South Hills, Ohio. Can we give God a huge round of applause for that? So just absolutely excited for what God is doing through our church, through uh, through you, through um, your serving, your efforts, your prayers, your giving. Uh, God continues to take this message and take the way we do South Hills and expand it from what it, where it originally began and allows it to continue to speak into people's lives. And so if you follow us on social media, keep a close eye out for our uh, South Hills Ohio uh, rollout this week. Uh, share it with your friends and family. It's outside the city of Columbus, uh, spe- a city specifically called Grove it's about 15, 20 minutes outside of Columbus. So we are uh, just super excited to hear more of those stories of who is God already prepping and planning to hear like, wow, we moved to Ohio and we moved outside this city and we weren't wondering, you know, is there ever going to be a church like the church that I came from? And the next thing you know, here it is, they get a card or an invite or they see a post on social media and South Hills is coming to their hometown and then their lives get transformed in ways that they never expected. So 
If you can tell, I'm a little excited about that. <laughs> All right, we're going to close our series today uh, in a tiny gold statues. We've been... Um, Diving into each week of, you know, what we would consider modern day idols. You know, ideally, you know, most of us would probably say we don't have any gold statues sitting at home, a golden calf or a golden cat or a golden whatever. I'm assuming, you know, not to say my my assumptions are we don't have any of those gold statues at home. But the reality is, is the gold statues are just a representation of a replacement of who should be in that place. And so that's what this series has been about, has been helping us to identify what areas in our life do we have um, something or someone in a replacement of who should be number one in our lives. And so, um, and so as we've dove into the series, it's been uh, intentional to help us identify, is there anything in our life that has taken the place of God? Is there anything in our life that, um, that is taking our time, our energy, our resources be, before God? And that's what we consider an idol. And so, you know, reality is if I was to have an individual conversation with you and I was to ask you, like, who is first in your life, if you have a relationship with God, you know the answer to that. You're, you're going to give me most likely the right answer. But if I was to dig into your time and dig into where you spend your money and dig into what you think about and worry about, probably is not going to match up with what should be your number one answer, right? I have three boys, and they will pass this test on ask, answering the question every time. And so if you ask them at any given moment, like, hey, what's priority in your life? They'll be like, oh, God. God, look at my social media. God's number one in my life. And look at, look at my, my, my profile. Look at my bio. And it's like, God, God, God. And it's like, okay. Now let's watch where you spend your time. Let's watch whenever you get money where you spend your money. Let's watch what you talk about the most. And then all of a sudden, if you start to gather where they spend their time, where they spend their money, and what they talk about the most, it doesn't necessarily match up with their bio. It doesn't necessarily match up with what should be priority in their life. And so as we've dug into this, this, this series, it's been an, uh, an intentionality to help us identify not only what should be first in our life, because obviously God is the one who knows us the most and loves us the most and wants us to have, have, us to have the greatest peace and joy and purpose of life, but not only who, uh, who should be number one in our life, but what is keeping us from having God number one in our life. So the idol is this. An idol is anything more important to you than God that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God or anything you seek to give or anything you seek to give you what only God can, what only God can. So that is what we consider an idol, anything that takes the place of where God should be in our hearts and our lives. And there's a quote from a a man named John Calvin. You might have heard of him. Uh, He said this. He said that our hearts are idle factories. Our hearts are idle factories. And what he's saying is the human heart by nature, just by simply being a part of this place called the world and this place called earth and living in a broken, uh, in a broken world that ultimately uh, people have sin in their hearts and are constantly battling and struggling with making the right choices and living the right way. But because we live in this environment, 
by nature, our hearts are going to be idol-making factories. No, no matter how much we, we, we like it or don't like it, we are influenced by our surroundings. We are influenced by what we watch on the media. We are influenced by we, what we watch on TV. We are influenced by the conversations that are happening around us. We are influenced by, by the popularity and the, and the image and the voices that ultimately are surrounding us every single day. The advertisements that you see throughout the day, the conversations you hear throughout the day, whether you're having them yourselves or whether you're just simply listening to them, they are all an influence. They all subliminally start speaking into your heart and speaking into your mind and start changing the way you think and start changing the way you talk and start changing the way you dress and start changing the way you act, whether you're aware of it or not, which is why it's so important for us to have something like this in our life every single week that aligns us and realigns us back to what our heart and our relationship with God should be like. And if you ever have been in a situation where you might have missed church once or twice or three times, and all of a sudden it's a month or two, and if you haven't gone on to church on Sunday, you may realize that you've changed. And your thoughts are different, and your words are different, and your priority is different, and you didn't even know it was happening because it happens so slowly and so strategically. And there's an enemy behind the scenes that is 100% committed to making sure that your life is disconnected from God and disconnected from others who have a relationship and priority with God. That is the enemy's number one goal in your life, disconnect you from God and disconnect you from others who have that relationship with God. Because if he can do that, then he can change your priorities. If he can disconnect you from the source of life and disconnect you from the word of God, then he can add things in there like anxiety and stress and a different purpose and a different direction for life. And he can derail you into things that are not going to bring fulfillment to your heart and your life, your family, your marriage, your kids, your career, your jobs. And all of a sudden, you're down this trap and you have these idols and you didn't even know. And you didn't even know. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Here's what this scripture is saying is, what in the world is happening to my people? How in the world do you experience a glorious God who loves you, who wants to have a relationship with you, who wants to have a close connection to you, who wants to speak into your life, who wants to see your life thrive and grow and be fulfilled and have purpose and direction and vision and, and, and peace and joy and love? How do you have that experience? And then trade it in for something that's worthless, for something that doesn't have meaning, for something that's not even going to outlast the years of your life. How does that happen? And so this is what Jeremiah is saying is, is there's a pattern that happens inside of the human heart. And if you've ever read the Bible from beginning to end, you notice that, you know, as God created people, a nation would come together and follow God. And then somehow, some way, they get distracted and they get derailed. And then all of a sudden, they take their eyes off of God. And whether it's a gold statue or whether it's a, 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 a power that they're chasing or, or, or land that they're chasing or, or fame that they're, ch they're chasing, they ultimately get derailed and they get away from God. And whenever they get away from God, all of a sudden, they're facing challenges and issues that ultimately were not supposed to be there in the first place. But because they got, they got derailed... They ended up down this road. 
But then you keep reading, and, and, and guess what happens? Somebody cries out for help because things are not going the way that they had hoped and planned. And they say, God, where are you? Can you help me out of this? And then sure enough, because God is merciful and God is love, he steps in and says, okay, now you're ready to come back. So then he brings them back, and he gets them aligned, and he gets them going back in, into a direction where they should be. And then what happens a few chapters later? A derailment happens again. And then they're making choices and decisions and living a life that they were never meant to live. And they're back to problems and issues and having struggles. And then what happens? They cry out to God, God, can you help me? And then God comes back. And this happens over and over and over throughout the Bible. And as, per, as a person that's reading it from the outside, you're just sitting there thinking like, oh, my goodness, are you going to do that again? Like, okay, now you're back and you're, you're, you're focused on your relationship with God and God's using you and you're thriving. And then, wow, you're derailed one more time and you just, you, you just had God rescue you. How in the world are you back into this? And so as someone from the outside and you're reading chapter after chapter, you're just thinking like, what is wrong with these people? Like, why can't they just figure it out? And then you kind of like pause and you realize that that's not just these people. It's these people as well. And it's our daily lives as well. Whatever it is, it might be different reasons that derail us. In today's world, it's different reasons. But back in those days, we can see those reasons. And so the enemy uses whatever he possibly can. Whatever idol that catches your attention. Whatever uh, is 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 is. is is in your head that you're constantly thinking about and constantly wondering about. Whatever it is you're, you're pursuing, whatever it is that you ultimately pay attention to the most, he'll use whatever he possibly can. He doesn't care which one it is because this isn't the goal for him. The goal for him is for you not to be connected to your creator. The goal for him is for you not to have God as number one in your life. He'd rather give you what you want so that you don't have a connection and don't have God in your life as number one. So week number one, although we've have, we, I can go, we can go over hundreds of idols, we kind of narrowed it down to the major four. And if you weren't here for week number one, you need to go back to that church center app that uh, everybody's talking about, download that, and watch Pastor Adam's week number one when he talked about the idol of power. And in the idol of power week number one, we came to this conclusion that a preoccupation with power masquerades as confidence. A preoccupation of power masquerades as confidence, but is really afraid of loss and humiliation. And somehow, some way, inside of our hearts, there's a fear in there that we would have loss and humiliation. And so there's a, there's a quote by a, name, a man named Henry Nguyen. He said this, and he actually asked a question. He said, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? What makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Then he gives the answer, which is very hard to read and also hard to, to grasp. And it says, maybe it's that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Maybe it's easier to pursue power and chase power than it is to love and work through the, work through the agony of what it takes to love at a deeper level. Then he says this, he says, it seems easier, and this is painful to hear, it seems easier to be God than to love God. It seems easier to be the one that makes all your choices and all your decisions than to allow God to be the one that gives you the guidance and direction of your choices and your decisions. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you've made a lot of decisions and you never even stopped to ask God what he thought? Have you ever been in a place where you're making some family decisions and then all of a sudden you're 10 decisions down the road and it's like, oh, did anybody consult God before we did any of this? I know I'm guilty of that. And you know why? Because of experience. Whenever you've lived a certain life and you've lived, made certain decisions and you've gone certain paths, you create a certain pattern, all of a sudden you feel like you know and you know best. And then even worse, sometimes you feel like you know best for others. And so all of a sudden you start making all these decisions and you never even pause to ask God about that. And so it seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people as they are and who they are. Now, trust me, that is a tough one because I really do feel like I have all the right answers for your lives. <laughs> I really do honestly feel that. But at the end of the day, I have to sit back and say, okay, God, you love them more than I do. And your Holy Spirit's going to guide them more than I possibly can. But if they would just do A, B, and C, their lives would be so much better. But you, you be you, God. You be you. You do that, all right? So love people. Uh, it says uh, easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. That was all in week number one. So like I said, if you did not grasp any of that, there's a little recap. But I would strongly suggest you go back and listen to that. Week number two was the idol of approval. And in the idol of approval, we dug deep into a desire for approval masquerades as just wanting to be liked, but is really afraid of rejection and loneliness. And here's a quote that I want, I want you guys to grasp and understand. It says, when we live our lives expecting people to give us something that only God can give us, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment and others up for exhaustion. Because people were never meant to fulfill your heart the way God was meant to fulfill your heart. People were never meant to be the idol in your life. Can people add joy to your life? Yes. Can they add pain to your life? Absolutely. I have three of them. But people were never meant to be God in your life. And that, especially in a realm of family, can very easily become an idol in your life where you get so fixated in your kids and in your marriage and in your family dynamic, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're looking for them to fulfill things that only God was created to fulfill. And then they're constantly making decisions that are not meeting your expectations, and then you're always frustrated, and you're wondering why you're so frustrated, and why don't they just make better decisions? Well, because you're expecting them to do something that they were never expected to do. God is the one that was supposed to fulfill your heart and meet those needs, and have you have that peace and that joy in your life. And then added family and friends to be a part of that journey to make it greater, but not to replace the idol of God being in that place in your life. So that was week number two. Week number three was the idol of comfort. And the idol of comfort, we discussed a constant craving for comfort that masquerades as being easygoing, which sounds so good. Like, oh, man, I'm just easygoing, whatever you want. Let's go eat wherever you want, except for that place. And then all of a sudden it says, but is really afraid of the stress and the demands of life. And so what we also discuss in that era is that comfort is really afraid of change. And why is, com why, 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 why is comfort afraid of change? Because all of a sudden, if you step out of the realm of comfort, you're no longer in control. And if you're no longer in control, then there's a lot of unknown and mystery. 
And if there's a lot of unknown and mystery, that doesn't feel comfortable because you like to know. You like to know every step of the way. And there's a phrase that I've always said, and I might have shared it with you guys before, but there's a phrase that I always say whenever I talk to people about a relationship with God. And I got a lot of people, smart people in my life and a lot of experienced people in my life and a lot of educated people in my life. And so they want answers and answers and answers, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But many times they get so fixated in the, in the wanting the answers that they could no longer enjoy the mystery of who God is. So I often say, listen, God is a mystery to be enjoyed, not a problem to be solved. Are there problems that God can solve? Absolutely. Are there answers he can give you? Absolutely. But in the world of faith and a trust and a relationship with your creator, there's a mystery that you should enjoy in that process, kind of like the stories that we hear. You think that was something that we could have put our smart heads together and figured out that there's someone in that area, in that city, that if we put a certain location, God's going to you know, reach out to that person? That was a mystery. That was an obedience that we fulfilled from God, trusting that God was going to put the right people at the right place by simply being obedient to his word. And so comfort often is a battle of wanting, not wanting to deal with change, which is ideally in the realm of control. I have a, a, a young one that's not so young anymore. He's in seventh grade now. And he is, out of, out of my three boys, he is by far the worst at change, and this, this year, he's had the most change. He, he, he goes to a different school than all of his friends went uh, when he was in elementary school. In elementary school, him and his buddies were, were together since kindergarten, a really tight group, tight group of friends. Seventh grade, he, my wife and I decided to remove him from that area and put him into a different public school, a private school, sorry. Uh, and so we decided to put him into that. And so none of his friends followed because they're all going to the public school. And then the other thing that changed with all of his friends is that uh, he was playing in a sport of baseball with them since they were little. And that team had been together for many, many years. But it was always the intention that after sixth grade, after the 12 year season, that they would go and get ready for high school. And everybody was going to different high schools. So his whole his whole team changed, which is something he really loves. And then we decided to move out of the house that we were in because we needed more space. You know, three stinky high school dirty, smelly boys is just can't, you just can't, you know, after some point, a two-bedroom home just doesn't work that way. And so then we had to expand and we had to move out of the city so we could afford a place. Um, And so then that changed for him. And so the most possible change that a kid can possibly go through happened to him. And then it happened to a kid who hates change. And he really is having a hard time with it. It's all good change. It's all positive change. It's all change for growth. But it's still very difficult for him because he likes to know. He likes to know who he's hanging out with. He likes to know who his friends are. He likes to know the coach that he's playing for. He likes to know the environment that he lives in. He likes to know those things. And when he doesn't know them, he struggles and struggles deeply. He's a kid who hates roller coasters. You know why he hates roller coasters? Because he doesn't know what the roller coaster is going to do. Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? Is it going to turn left? Is it going to turn right? Is it going to slow down? Is it going to go faster? Am I going through a dark tunnel where there's going to be a dragon that steps out of there? Is there going to be a water that shoots at me? He hates all that. Now, if he knew exactly what was going to happen, he'd be fine with it. 
If he knew, like, hey, you're going to go 12 feet, then you're going to turn left, then you're going to go up, and then there's going to be a dragon. It's, it's fake, but it's going to sound real. And then you're going you're gonna to drop down to the bottom. There's going to be water that squirts at you. It's really just a water gun. It's not really falling into the abyss. And so if he knew all that, he'd be totally fine with it. But because he doesn't know, he hates it. What is that called? A control freak is what that's called. He struggles with control. He wants to know. Now, there's a gift in that. There really is. But there's a huge weakness in that as well because you can ultimately struggle with being God when only God has that role to know everything at every given moment in every situation. And so one of the things that my little boy is learning is that God is a mystery. He's a mystery that you need to learn to enjoy. There's a faith behind that journey that ultimately you're going to deepen your trust and your faith and your relationship in the God that is bigger than you, in the God that knows more than you, the God that knows the right decisions every single time. But for you to let go of that and let God have that place in your life, it's going to require change. And so that is a journey that he's on. And I just want to take a pause right now and just ask you a question before we finish this message. Because if not, then it's just a good message that you hear about my family, but it's not necessarily a message that applies to you. So let's figure out how to make this apply to you. Are you ready? What area of your life do you find yourself trying to control? What area of your life do you find yourself trying to control? Every one of us have a area. Some of us have multiple areas, but let's just work on one today, all right? Let's not, let's, let's not, let's not be ambitious, too big, too, let's not get out too ahead of ourselves. What is the one area in your life that you find yourself trying to control? Is it your career? Is it your kids? Is it your marriage? Is it your siblings? Is it your finances? Is it your hobbies? What is the area in your life that you kind of just do without asking God? That you ultimately just step into that area and you're 10 decisions deep and you never even stop to even ask God what he thought about it. What is the one area in your life that you find yourself trying to control? And, and the reason why I ask this question is because this is ultimately a really spiritual question and here's why. And here's why this is a spiritual question because it's an aha moment in your life that there may be an idol. And here it is. Where you attempt to control the most often reveals where you trust God the least. Where you individually attempt to control the most often reveals where you trust God the least. Now, as you think about that, I understand that life is difficult, that life does have a lot of challenges and obstacles and that there's a hundred decisions that you're constantly making on a regular basis and you're trying always to figure out how to stay ahead and how to stay above water. And, and I get it. And, and, and I know that as you, as we have stepped into this journey of life, there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of unknowns. And so we like to figure out what is the pattern of ultimately what we know the most and how do we stay in that realm because it's comfortable and we can control it. But if for a second you could just kind of step out of the environment and kind of see it this way. It's, you know, life often is, is like being placed at one end of a jungle and then being asked to go to the other end of the jungle 
And, and you're kind of at, at one end thinking like, okay, how far is this jungle and how deep is this jungle and how long is it going to take me to get through this jungle? And some of us are fortunate to, you know, live life at 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Some of us less fortunate. But at the end of the day, everybody starts at one side of the jungle and then gets through the other side. Now, just like many jungles, it could be scary because there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of, a lot of dangerous things in a jungle. There's a lot of pitfalls and holes and, and there's poisonous snakes and there's landmines in some jungles and there's all kinds of obstacles that are created to hurt you, that are created to bring uh, danger into your life. So that journey of going from one side of the jungle to the other side can be very scary. But it'd be a lot less scary if someone said, hey, I'm going to not just put you on this side of the jungle, but I'm going to give you a road map. Give you a road map so you can actually enjoy this journey. So the other part to the jungle is that although it can be scary, it also can be very beautiful. And the jungle can have a lot of greenery and a lot of fresh air, and a lot of pretty birds, and a lot of pretty waterfalls, and, and streams, and rivers. And it can have a beautiful hike where you get to hear yourself breathe, and you get to hear your heartbeat. And then it could, it, it could be done with another person where you can enjoy a, a beautiful conversation. And all of a sudden, it's like, here, just follow this roadmap, and you're going to enjoy this journey of this jungle to the greatest capacity. You're going to avoid the pitfalls and the poisonous snakes and the landmines. And then all of a sudden you get handed this and it's like, okay, well, this is not so bad now. Now I can actually put my time and energy into enjoying this journey. Now, how silly would it be? Now, think about this. You're on one end and you are now on the journey of trying to get to the other end. How silly would it be to be given the roadmap? to avoid all the dangers and the pitfalls and the poisonous snakes and the landmines. And then you say, this is great. You know what I'm going to do with this beautiful map? I'm just going to put it right here on this shelf, and I'm just going to do this myself. I'm just going to figure it out one day at a time. I'm just going to step into this jungle and walk through this journey and do it all on my own. Even though you didn't create the jungle, even though you didn't place the landmines in the jungle, even though you had nothing to do with what this jungle actually looks like, your only job is to get from one end to the other, and then you just decide, I'm just going to do it myself. Now, that sounds really silly, right? Like, most of us in this moment, as we sit in this room, we would think, why would anybody do that? That's just ridiculous. But yet, how many of us have this beautiful map that gives us the answers and the guidance and the direction of how to get from one journey of life to the next, and then we take it and just place it on the shelf, and we just say, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. I, I'm just, I'm just going to figure this out all, all on my own. You know, I, I know there's answers and guidance and direction here, but you know what? I'm just going to learn through experience. I'm just going to gather my own fame and fortune and my own answers of what ideally I think this jungle could be. Now that, as silly as it sounds, unfortunately, there's a lot of truth to that because we battle with the desire of control. And one of the traps with control is this. The more we try to control something uncontrollable, the more out of control we feel. The more that we try to control something in our life, the more out of control we feel. 
Now, over the last few weeks, we've said that we can't just remove an idol and then just hope that nothing comes in, right? We've said we have to remove an idol and we have to place something more beautiful in that spot. We can't just take it out and just have it disappear. An idol has to be removed and it has to be replaced with something more beautiful, right? And so if we struggle with this battle of control, what is it that we would need to put in that place so that control and the desire of control doesn't come back and work its way back into our life? So Jesus had this same issue. Jesus had this same problem. And whether he walked, although we know he walked on this earth and had a perfect life, it, he still was human and had the human heart and, and struggled with the human things that we all struggle with. And there was a moment in his life where he was going to be facing a, a very painful journey. And he ultimately struggled with control. But he replaced control with something that we need to learn today. And here's it, here it is. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 42. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and became anguished and distressed. It sounds like a lot of human emotions, correct? There's the, there's the connection of his, him feeling human. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved even to the point of death. So he's feeling a lot of pain, a lot of fear. He's feeling, like, he's feeling a lot of anxiety here. And he says, remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he threw himself down with his face to the ground and prayed. So now at this point, because he's feeling, he's feeling the fear, he's feeling the anxiety, he's feeling the stress of life, he knows I'm, gonna go, I'm just going to throw my face at, the, at, at my father and I'm going to cry out to him and I'm going to talk to him in this moment that I'm feeling that I want to control the situation. So, so he goes a little further and throws himself in and prays. He says, my father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. So he's in the moment now where he's getting ready to be crucified. He's getting ready to be arrested. He's getting ready to be tortured. He's getting ready to be beat. He's getting ready to, to suffer the worst physical pain you could possibly imagine. And so in his human heart, he's just crying out saying, God, if there's a way for me to avoid this, let's, let's avoid this. If there's a way for the goal to be a, still be accomplished and me not have to go through this torture, can we, can we go down that road? He wants to control the situation, but what happens right here? He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said, Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you will not fall. You will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. So what did Jesus turn in for the desire of control? What did he exchange for the desire of control? He exchanged surrender over control. He surrendered himself and surrendered his, his desire and he surrendered his wants and he just surrendered his emotions. He surrendered his will. He surrendered what ultimately he would have preferred. And he gave it to God and said, this is what I'd like to control, but it's yours. I surrender it to you. So a need for control masquerades as self-discipline, but it really is afraid of uncertainty and the unknown. It really is afraid of the certainty and the unknown. And there's a pastor who wrote a book that was really powerful. Uh, her name was Sharon Miller. And in this book, she ultimately shared a lot of moments where, where areas in our life that create 
brokenness in our life. He said, if you have broken relationships, that's because you suffer from the toxic impact of trying to control others. If you ever suffer with burnout, often the never-ending work of controlling our circumstances create burnout. If you suffer from you know, your, your, your body and, and the body shaming, she said, the impossible ideal of controlling our bodies is, is the impossibility of creating this movement of body shaming. She says, if you suffer from anxiety, from the, and it says, anxiety happens from the balancing act of controlling our reputations. If you suffer from exhaustion, exhaustion happens through, through striving to control our identities. And so I just, as I said earlier today, Everyone has one area. We all have at least one area in our life. And as we close this series, it's not going to be the end of these idols trying to sneak into your life and trying to step into your heart and trying to remove God from being at the top and move him down to the bottom and then placing whatever area in our life that we're trying to control. So if you identified that area in your life today, I want to give you a phrase for you to hold on to. And it says, you don't always have the power to control but you always have the power to surrender. You won't always have the ability to control every circumstance in your life as much as you want to and as, as, as much as greater as life would be if you could. You don't always have that ability. You don't always have the power to control, but you do always have the power to surrender. That is a decision that you do have. That is in your power to do every single time. That is in your wheelhouse to be able to trade in control for surrender and allow God to be God and for us to enjoy the mystery of who God is. And so everyone at their, on their chair, so either it's on your chair or behind your chair or in front of your chair, there's a three-by-five card. And uh, I, I purposely asked Pastor Adam to put this three-by-five card in there so that you could write down the one area in your life that you feel you've been trying to control. And so today what I want you to do is I want you to write down what's the one area in your life that you need to hand over to God and surrender to God. Is it marriage? Is it kids? Is it finances? Is it stress? Is it anxiety? Is it a career? Is it your hobbies? Whatever it is, what is the one area in your life that you find yourself trying to be God in, trying to control? And I want you to write it down on that three-by-five card today. And what I want you to do with that is that I want you to fold it up, and I want you to put it in your pocket, and whenever you come across your Bible, whether it's here today or whether it's in your home or whatever it is, I want you to put it in your Bible so that it's always a reminder that it's an error in your life that you're going to give to God. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here for you. So after service, come on down here in the front and we'll get you a Bible. But before you leave, do your heart a favor. Identify the area in your life that you're trying to control and surrender it to God. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you, God, for your love and for your mercy. We thank you, God, for your message we thank you, God, that you are a mystery for us to enjoy and not a problem to be solved. We thank you, God, that we get to deepen our faith and our trust in you from the unknowns, that we can step into that area without fear, that we can step into that zone of our life and say, God, we surrender it to you.
We give it to you because you are God and we are not. Help me. Help me to surrender my kids to you. Help me to surrender my career to you. Help me to surrender my finances to you. Help me to surrender my health to you. Help me to surrender my body to you. Help me to surrender whatever it is that's in my life that I'm trying to control and give it to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Let your Holy Spirit be loud in our ears. We say these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.